Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Thank you, Anna, for reading. One thing that just um, seemed loud and clear to me this morning, and even as I've had conversations today and certainly throughout the week, is that there, there is so much on our hearts and our minds. Certainly the series Battleground kind of opens our eyes to, to appreciate how many different things are going on, what, are, what weighs heavy on our heart, whether it's a family situation, whether it's friends going through a difficult time, whether it's personally you don't know exactly which way to go, whether it's like tension seems to be mounting or finances seem to be just really, really tough. I think there's no shortage of challenges that we face. And I'm also well aware we don't just check that at the door. We bring all of that in and we're thinking about it. And we're wrestling through, will we believe what God's word says when we hear Ephesians 6 read? Will we believe what God has to say? I'm not talking about God's word as some sort of magic wand that we can wave and then all of a sudden we walk out and problems have completely disappeared. But I am talking about God's word that just anchors your world when there doesn't seem to be a lot anchoring anything. God's word that speaks life when it seems like there are all sorts of things that speak all sorts of awful kinds of things into your life. God's word that heals and guides and sustains and helps. Ephesians 6, we've said this again and again, but it, it certainly is worth repeating that Ephesians 6 is telling us we are to be strong in the Lord and we are to stand firm and God has given us exactly what we need. You will not be able to, to stand firm. You will not be able to be strong in the Lord without his help, without him coming. And one of the things that he's given to help us is piece by piece, he's given us armor. Over the last several weeks, we've really just kind of walked head to toe to see how, how the Lord has equipped us to deal with our battles, to face our battles, to walk, on, uh, walk in our battlegrounds. With each week, we've talked about truth and righteousness and the gospel of peace and faith. We're just realizing again and again, and hopefully as we've remembered each sort of peace, it's become more and more real and tangible what the Lord has given us to go into this battleground. And today we have another piece of armor that I want us to look at, and it's actually called the, the helmet of salvation. 
the helmet of salvation. This is one of those pieces that actually is not that hard for us to relate to or appreciate what a helmet does. It provides certainly safety for our head. And even today, we use helmets in probably many of the same ways that they were used back in the time that this was written. We recognize helmets are are needed on construction sites and helmets are needed for sports and recreation. And helmets are, are, are needed even for transportation sometimes. We know that the head has to be protected. And what Paul says to do is we've got to put on the helmet, but it's not, it's not just a, a generic helmet. It is the helmet of salvation. So what does that even mean to do that, to put on the helmet of salvation? What does it mean as we think about salvation if you're around Christian if you're around churches, if you're around Christians, at some point in time, you hear the word salvation. We even sing about it at times. You hear, and maybe you grew up in a, a Christian tradition where regularly talked about was getting saved or being saved. And so that was regular language that you heard. What is that? What is that referring to? And really, I think to appreciate what it means to put on the helmet of salvation, you're you and I are going to have to appreciate what we are actually saved from and who actually did the saving. So we can talk about salvation and it just seem like religious jargon, just like words, but like what does it mean for us to put on the helmet of salvation? We're going to have to have a really clear picture of what we were saved from and who actually did the saving. That, that makes all the difference. If we're saved from something minimal, then, then actually we won't appreciate salvation as much. If I'm saved, I, I, I can imagine a, a situation you're, you're in college and you pass, you pass a, a friend who's taking the same class with you and you pass them and you, they bring up the fact like, oh, are you ready for the test? And you realize, I am not ready. I didn't even realize there was a test then you would recognize, okay, man, they saved me from maybe getting a grade that I didn't want to get. Or if you recognize you are getting ready to, like you're frustrated and you're frustrated with the world and you're getting ready to blast an email out and you're going to CC everybody that you can possibly think of just so everybody in the world knows just how angry you are and you're going to name names and you're just going to lay it all out there and you send it to a friend and your friend says, yeah, don't send that. Please, please don't send that. This might be career ending if you send that. Then your friend saved you a lot of heartache and possibly saved your job. You see, it, it depends really. I mean, if we zero in like, okay, what are we saved from? If you're in a very, very difficult medical situation and a nurse or a doctor prescribes a certain path of treatment, I mean, it would, you could say like, they saved my life. Do you see it differs it differs, and we could use the word saved in a lot of ways. What bad result are we being saved from? One description of salvation comes from J.I. Packer. It, it's a helpful one. He, he reminds us that salvation is a, a picture word. It certainly paints a certain picture, and that picture is one of an idea of rescue. So when we say getting saved, being saved, salvation, it's a picture of rescue, the idea of rescue, and rescue from, and again, this doesn't cover everything, but rescue from jeopardy, rescue from misery, 
and into a state of safety. So we're rescued from some things by our Lord Jesus Christ into a state of safety. And I want us to really, that, that helps us appreciate what are we saved from. And for that, I really want us to just dig into Ephesians to have an appreciation. So maybe by the end of this message, we even have a greater appreciation of what we are saved from. So can we paint a picture that Ephesians paints? First of all, the the picture that Ephesians paints, especially in Ephesians 2, is that we have been saved, we are saved from death. We are saved from death. That's in Ephesians 2.1 and Ephesians 2.5. Ephesians 2.1 says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.5 says, even more personally, we were dead in our trespasses. So to appreciate the rescue, the salvation, we were in jeopardy, misery, but God brought us out of that. We have to appreciate we have been rescued from death. Death, a spiritual condition where you are dead to the things of God, dead to the spiritual realm, which means that when you die physically, if you are dead spiritually, then there's no hope for life for you. You're eternally separated from God, and that's where things land. We can argue, we can protest, we can say, well, I don't really feel dead. I'm not sure I would identify in that way spiritually. I think I'm actually okay. Is it really that bad? Can I, is, is that really the, the right term for us? Are you saying if, you're, if you don't have trust in Christ, you're dead? I mean, I, I think there's aspects of my life that may be dysfunctional, but maybe, maybe not dead completely, like without a spiritual pulse. Or maybe I might say, like, I wasn't always on the right track. But is it that hopeless to say, like, completely dead spiritually? Maybe you're willing to say, at times, I'm not in a good place. But surely, surely I try to do right a lot of times. And my good mostly outweighs my bad. That should count for something. And if anybody gets to heaven, surely it should be someone like me who's at least tried to be a decent human being. Is it right Is it right to say we are dead? That is the word that scripture uses again and again. It's clear from Ephesians. You and I were dead. No hope for us if it depends on us to bring ourselves back to life. Which is why, which is why we needed salvation. Maybe even more specifically, that's why we needed a savior. Because we were stuck in this condition of being dead. But it's past tense for those who are in Christ. You have been rescued from death. You're no longer dead. And that is because in a total act of grace, totally a gift to you, Jesus went to the cross. This is the way Ephesians 2, 4 says. It says, God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our trespasses. He made us alive. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're going to come back to verse 7, but think about it. This is saying you 
You aren't dead any longer if you are in Christ through the resurrection of Jesus. God has made, change your condition, change your status. You were spiritually dead and now you're alive. The sting of death has been taken away for you. You've been made alive. You've been raised up with him. And he did all this according to verse 7, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 says, he has rescued us. He's made us alive. Not just so we could look back to a point in time and say, I was saved but so that we would, even in the future, enjoy more and more of the riches of the kindness and the grace of our Lord. Jesus has a life for you. Your life was not meant to be pathetic or pitiful. It's meant to have purpose. You have been saved. And I, so we recognize I've been saved. I've been saved from what? I've been saved from death. And when we put the helmet of salvation on, we recognize we can Put that on knowing we've been saved from death. How does, that, how does that work? How does that work for a lot of people in the room that hopefully are decades away from death? I mean, so you've been saved from that. Okay, that's, that's good. Maybe, you know, 60 years down the road, that'll be great. But maybe 20 years down the road, you're saved from death. But actually the way Ephesians talks about it is, no, you are saved right now. I wonder the person who's middle school, the person who's in high school, the person who's in college, or, or maybe just frankly, any stage of life. Sometimes it's so easy to feel like, yeah, it's great that you know, I, I, I will be saved and all that, but like right now life feels so lost and I feel so insecure, and there's so many paths, and how do we know those paths aren't going to be toward dead ends? This is beyond just even new heavens and new earth right now. The fact that God has saved you from death means he is leading you on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The life, the hope you're looking for, it comes from Jesus. You grow older and you go through times and you go through times and seasons where you feel pretty lonely and maybe a description of that feeling would be, I feel like even though I'm, you know, I'm not facing death, I feel like I'm dying on the inside. Every, every painful circumstance seems to take a little bit more out of me. And I become like less, it seems like life is draining and I'm becoming less and less resilient and I feel like I am just, my life is unraveling. And Jesus, in the midst of that, says, I have saved you from that. Your life is not going to unravel. I've come that you would have life. I'm not dead. I'm alive. He gives us a new perspective. I can't remember a more difficult year thinking about the subject of death because it hasn't been abstract for me over the last 12 months. I think I, I counted, I've officiated 10 funerals. Some of those have been friends that I've loved for years. One of those was a family member. And so when I say that Jesus has saved us from death, I think of the number of times all of us in the room have had to face the earthly enemy of death 
And you really have to ask some questions and they're hard questions and go, what do I believe here? Because I'm not really interested in just saying a few kind words at a funeral. We need life and hope there. And we move forward with a new perspective. If I really am saved from death, then to live is Christ. And Paul would say, dying is gain. My life is not my own. And whatever days I have until I meet the Lord, they can be for his glory, not my own. You've been saved. And, and remember the description, you've been saved from the jeopardy, you were in danger and saved from misery. You were in an awful place. And that, that is death, but that's not all we've been saved from because Ephesians 2 also paints another picture. We've been saved also from bondage, from spiritual bondage. Spiritually being enslaved, that comes up a number of times. Matt even read a passage in Titus referring to being enslaved and driven. Ephesians 2 says it like this, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And notice kind of the, the bondage we're in. We just followed the course of this world and that's not a good thing. And we followed the prince of the power of the air and that's certainly not a good thing. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We all were living in the passions of our flesh. We all were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. That's the kind of bondage we were in spiritually. I think you realize, like, Scripture doesn't picture our life, our walk on this earth, like it's some sort of kid's cartoon or some sort of coloring book. It presents it as a place where the world, our flesh, and even our spiritual enemies conspire to lock us into spiritual bondage, put another uh, another rope around us, another rope, another cord to where you get so tied up, whether it's a particular stubborn sin or whether it's something that promises hope and you like you buy in 100%. It, it means everything to you and then it slips away or whether it's habits or a pattern of sin or whether it's you always feel the urge like I got to please every single person, which I mean, there's a side of that of loving your neighbor, which may be good, but it's not healthy and not good where you are because you're so bent on, I've got to make everybody completely happy. And if I don't, I'm not worth anything. Or maybe it's lust or maybe it's fear or maybe it's anger or maybe it's materialism. And you go, Curtis, right now, it just seems like I got to feed the beast. I, I, I can't seem to break free. The last thing I feel is free. That description is spiritual bondage. And our pride may kick in and we want to argue and go, well, I don't know that I, I'm in bondage. I, I just would say, like, I've got some issues to resolve. I need to make some better life choices. But is that really, like, I, I think I can, I can break free anytime I want to. Maybe it's, maybe if I got this help from this yeah, self-help guru, if I realize I just need to quit being so negative on myself and rise above and believe and have confidence that I can get my act together, I can be the better version of myself that I'm not being now, and I can do all this, maybe if I just do that, and scripture would paint a very, very different picture. Even though we'd like to say, it's just a rough patch, I've worked hard, I've, I, I kind of have a fresh start now, I got a list, I'm making improvements, I've turned a page, I, I think I'm okay now. Scripture would say, without Jesus, you are just getting wrapped and wrapped and wrapped in spiritual bondage, and you'll never be free. We can't just magically make ourselves free. You're getting more and more locked in. You may even think you're making some progress. And maybe you get free from one, like, one thing that you feel like I, this controls my life and only to find you're controlled by something else. 
And maybe, maybe it's, it's even good, but then it demands more and more and more. And you go, I don't think I'm free. I, I feel like I've just traded one, one set of, like one master for another. On our own, we never get free from spiritual bondage. We need someone. Like if we're, if we're totally locked down, we need someone that can break us free. We need a rescuer. We need a savior. This is why the good news is so good in that we were in bondage. But now we've been rescued. We've been saved. Sin's power has been broken. That's what scripture says. The cross and the resurrection broke sin's power. So it doesn't constrict us. It makes us free. It's a total gift. It's God's grace to us. We're rescued, redeemed. Sin doesn't own us. Satan doesn't have dominion over our life. Our flesh is not our master. The only master we have now, if we are in Christ, the only master we have is Jesus. And he's the perfect master. He's the one who say, you come follow me and my yoke is easy. My burden is light. What are we saved from? We're saved from bondage. We're saved from spiritually not being free to do what we've been created to do. How do we, so we're putting on the helmet of salvation. That's the, that's the armor, piece of armor we're talking about. So I put that on and I realized, okay, I've been saved from bondage. So Christ is doing a work in me. He has promised that he started a good work. He began it and he will be faithful to complete it. So even though now I see that I, I get stuck in a, a pattern and as much as I, I feel like I can't break free, what Christ says is, that's not your master. You have been free. And even more than that, in Ephesians 2, verse 10, it tells us we have been created in Christ Jesus. Not to be a slave of sin, a slave of fear. But we have been created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works. You have freedom you have freedom. We're saved from death. We put on the helmet of salvation and know my life is in the Lord's hands. We put on the helmet of salvation and go, I am spiritually free. Oh, it may be a struggle and it's not always immediately evident. And sometimes we find ourselves in some of those same ruts, but ultimately God has given us freedom and we can walk in that. One more one more aspect of freedom that Ephesians tells us is we're also, we're also saved from God's wrath. We're also saved from God's wrath. Yes, we're saved from death, and yes, we're saved from spiritual bondage, but we're also saved from God's wrath. Notice Ephesians 2, 3. It's consistent with the rest of Scripture. It reminds us you were by nature children of wrath, which means we are children. Uh, other places make this clear. We're children under God's wrath, like the rest of mankind. I wonder if hearing God and wrath is uncomfortable to you. Maybe you wonder, like, I, I don't know how that is put together. Maybe you've read Roman mythology and Greek mythology, and you've read how, like, the, the gods were angry and would, you know, just randomly 
you know, make life miserable for this person because they were angry. And maybe that's your impression when you hear God being angry or having wrath and you go, that's something doesn't sound right about that. But yet scripture again and again speaks of the wrath of God, the righteous anger of God. What you need to know is from scripture, God's wrath isn't something that's petty or arbitrary. What would cause God to be angry is the fact that people are abused in this world and lives are taken and homes are wrecked. And how can he just be okay with that? How can, how can that be okay when you and I both know the pain that some people are experiencing right now? I mean, how, how can that be okay? When, when God looks at a world and it's filled with violence and greed and pride and selfishness, when God looks at a world that even though he's created it and he is good, a world that shakes its fist and says, God, I'll do what I want. I'll identify how I want to identify. I don't care what you have to say. I will do things my way. We're all complicit in this. It's not as if I can somehow self-righteously go, that's like all the bad people in the world, but I'm over here actually trying to do something good. I'm the one who actually God has nothing to be angry about when he looks at my life because I am, I'm, I'm trying to do right. Or like maybe he just lowers his standards and he's okay with me being me, even with my problems. And, you know, it, it's like I've tried to do my part and I've tried to help clean up the messes everybody else in my world has made. I, I've tried to be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. Are you sure, are you sure wrath? is exactly the right word. Maybe it's more just like minor irritation a substitute teacher would have because the class won't behave that day. Maybe is that God looking at this world? And scripture again and again is saying, no, no. This world that shakes its fist in God's face, this is not okay. We have to face up to what we've been saved from on our own. We contribute to the mess, not the cleanup. We are part of the problem, not the solution. And the situation isn't going to be any better by us just me pronouncing some optimistic words or wishful thinking and go, let's just all think about this stuff. You know, it's like that, that doesn't change anything. What changed this world, which is an, aw an awful place, this world where we all want things to be right and they're not, what changed everything was when a rescuer came in just an amazing moment of, I mean, a lot is going on on the cross, but one of the things going on at the cross is that God, the Son, Jesus Christ, is absorbing the wrath God is pouring out on sin and sinners so that we don't have to endure that. So that all those that would place their faith in Jesus rely on him are children who are deeply loved and accepted. I mean, how do, we, how do we stand before a holy, righteous God in our sin with our lame promises like, well, I, I'll try to do better, or our lame excuses, well, I really didn't mean to. We couldn't stand. We have no, no ability to stand before God's righteous judgment on sin. 
but then stepping into that is Christ who changes it all. I love Ephesians 2.8. This is God's grace to us. For by grace you have been, there's the word, right? Saved. You've been rescued. Through faith, it's, it's simple. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. You receive favor, not wrath. He forgives. He doesn't hold things against you. You're accepted, not rejected because you are relying. Do you, do you rely on Jesus? Do you rely on this? So when it comes to the wrath of God, we put on the helmet of salvation and we realize this is going to help us be strong and to stand firm. We put on the helmet of salvation and we feel gratitude because we are accepted, not condemned. We're righteous and not guilty. We have access to the Father because we are loved and that status won't change. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit as a seal, a guarantee that our status will not change before our Heavenly Father. I have to tell you, I, I think one of the greatest earthly gifts that I could ever be given was, a heavenly, was an earthly father that wasn't, never seemed like he was so hard to please, never gave me the impression that you don't measure up, but loved and showed kindness. I realize each year that goes by, what a huge gift that was. I realized that about my earthly father who was imperfect who made mistakes. But then I recognize if we're in Christ, we have a heavenly father who, because we are in Christ, his like facial expression to you is not one scowling, not rolling his eyes, knowing yet again, you messed up. But scripture says you have been accepted in Christ. I, I wonder what, I wonder what battleground you're on. I wonder what's stressing you out. I wonder what thing you're facing, what, what hardship, what, what thing that has gotten so complicated. And I want you to know because God's wrath isn't remaining on you because Jesus has changed that whole equation. I wonder if you realize you now have access to a heavenly father and he has invited you and he's not scowling and he's not angry and he's not irritated. He's actually invited you. And, and you say, well, I, I prayed to him yesterday. Well, pray to him again. I prayed to him this morning. Pray to him again. He welcomes that. He's not irritated like, oh, it's you again. No, he fully expects and fully invites you to take whatever stress, whatever thing that you know, this is not going to get solved in a day or a week. This is hard and I've got to walk through it. And I hear the voice of Jesus saying, will you come to me? Will you lay those burdens on my shoulder? You can move forward with a new perspective. You can ask the Lord for rest and relief from the, from the despair you sense over every imperfection, every place you don't quite measure up, you recognize, yeah, I, I don't. And if it were about me atoning for my own sin, it would be over. But there's one who took God's wrath for me. I'm never going to make things even, but I rest in God's disposition toward me as one of love. Salvation I mean, we could, we could describe it in a lot of ways, and I've heard it described in the past like salvation is almost like a second chance. 
And I, I can appreciate what someone is trying to say by that. I'm going to tell you salvation that comes from Scripture is so much more than just a second chance. It's so much more than like you were way in debt and God kind of brought it up to you're a zero balance and now like, now you got to do your part. This is so different than what I see described here. Instead, what I hear, when I hear that I can put on the helmet of salvation, it reminds me that God has guaranteed that my soul will not be lost. When I put on the helmet of salvation, I know living is Christ and dying is gain. When I put on the helmet of salvation, I know I am free and I can use that freedom to serve others instead of just trying to build my own kingdom. When I put on the helmet of salvation, I know I am accepted and I now can live in dependence on a heavenly father who is 100% for me. Church, can we go to the Lord and ask his help that we might put on that helmet of salvation today? Father, do that for us. Where, where maybe we are overconfident or maybe we are the furthest thing from overconfident, we feel like life is a, a train wreck. I pray you would remind us of what it means. It is no small thing that you tell us we are saved, we are rescued. It is no small thing that our life is in your hands. And so we have eternal life and abundant life. It's no small thing that we are free from any spiritual bondage. It's no small thing that we'll never know your wrath. But we will enjoy your mercy forever. So thank you for the hope and the strength that gives. Remind us again and again of our salvation. I pray, Lord, even this week we would put on the helmet of salvation so that we would be strong in the Lord and stand firm in our faith. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.